Hello, and welcome back to the Grace Downtown podcast. Our 10-year anniversary celebration is happening this weekend. I hope you already have your tickets for Saturday's dinner. If you don't, though, you can still join us for a special commemorative worship service on Sunday evening. We'll be joined by Dr. John Hutchinson, who is the senior pastor of McLean Presbyterian Church, all the way back when Grace Downtown was just getting started. McLean was one of our two parent churches. Dr. Hutchinson now works with our other parent, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, on supporting church plants around the world. He's been a good friend to our congregation and has preached here several times over the years. For this week's podcast, we're bringing you the first sermon he preached at Grace Downtown, all the way back in 2005. We're looking forward to seeing you all this weekend and celebrating with you. But in the meantime, here's Dr. Hutchinson. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the Church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's my real privilege to introduce um, the Reverend Dr. John Hutchinson. Um, As I thought about our particularization service and uh, one person that I wanted to preach the sermon, it was John. Uh, for many reasons. One is John has been the uh, lead visionary about this church plant with the session as well at McLean Church. But as soon as John arrived here, he had a burden and a passion to see a church planted in the district and persevered, spent many hours, much time, much conversation, interviewing people, (laughs) praying, working hard, uh, gathering men all over from the denomination to pray and be in the city and to join the prayers that had happened for 20 years. Uh, Since that time, John has been uh, one of the first folks I'll pick up and call, and he always answers my phone calls when I need help. Wonderful pastor, wonderful communicator, and a man with a heart for God's kingdom advancing, and humanly speaking, uh, without whom our church would not be here right now. So I'm very uh, thankful for John to be here, and very thankful for him to bring the word of God to us. Can I pray for you as you come, John? Thank you for John's life and ministry. Thank you for his vision and his faith. Thank you that he can be with us here now. And I pray that you would uh, fill him with your spirit. Uh, Place Christ before his eyes, Lord. Open our eyes to see Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, good evening. It's a great, great privilege. It really is indeed a privilege for me to be here and and, um, but more so to open God's Word. Thank you, Rick Jamison, for reading God's Word for me and for also setting up a challenge. I've never quite had anybody read the Scripture lesson and say, now I can't wait to see what you do with that, brother. <laughs> so I hope I don't disappoint you, Rick. Uh, I hope the Lord doesn't disappoint you tonight. But uh, The Apostle says, we always thank God for you every time we remember you. Every time that he remembered this church. He thanked the Lord. He was thankful. 
Not everyone can say that about every remembrance of churches that they have. Certainly there are those who don't even have memories of of churches that they've been a part of. Maybe that's your story here tonight, that this may be your first church that you've ever really been a part of. And so this is the one that you will remember as the first one. And there are others, of course, who no doubt have mixed memories, uh, some good memories, some not-so-good memories, and uh, frankly, some real painful memories. And um, I I remember a church that will always be in my memory bank um, for mixed reasons, as you'll see why. But this is a church that that, uh, was quite aggressive in its outreach, and, and in fact, on the the side of their building, they they, they painted a, a billboard, and it and it said to everyone who drove by, it it said, "Welcome to University Blank." I won't give the exact name, but University Church, the home of the Fighting Christians. <laughs> well, the other part of that story is that they had a school as well, and their their mascot. Was, they called. They were the. They were the. The uh, the, the Crusaders. And um, probably a little history review would have helped them a little bit, maybe. But uh, anyway, they were the Crusaders, and and so then you understand. Okay, so they're the fighting Christians. But you just think, wouldn't you, that maybe they would say, maybe that's not the best thing we want on the side of our building. <laughs> Paul's thoughts of this church. Thessalonica, were thrilling. What are your thoughts of Grace D.C.? What do you think of when you think of Grace D.C.? What, what do you pray for when you pray for Grace D.C.? Well, when I think of Grace D.C., and I read this passage, my thoughts blend together. Because when I think of this church, I think of a church that is described as the Apostle Paul describes this church in three ways. And I'm used to the New International Version, so forgive me. Hopefully you'll be able to hang on to these words, but they're very similar to the English Standard Version. But when Paul thanks the Lord, he says, I always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in my prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father, first, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, secondly, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's that trilogy that the apostle always goes back to over and over again. Faith, this time in this order, faith, love, and hope. And that's what he remembers when he thinks about this church. And really, that's what I think of with great thanks and praise to God when I think about Grace D.C., Work produced by faith. Well, what does that mean? The word for work means outcome or the result. And in fact, that's why the NIV, I think, translates it, your work produced by faith. It's what comes out as a result of one's faith. Faith always produces something. Well, what was their outcome? What was their work of faith? Well, Paul tells them later in the same chapter. Notice in verse 7 he says, and so 
you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The outcome of their faith was that they turned to God from idols. They turned to God, to the living God. And by faith, they embraced him. That was the result of their faith. They embraced the living God. And many of you, no doubt, have turned to the living God. And some I know as a part of this church, as a part of this ministry, you've turned to the living God from the idols in your own lives. You know, everyone has a faith story. Every one of us tonight has a faith story. You may not be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, but you have a faith story. Faith story is that which we really believe, that which we really rely upon, that which we really trust, that which is the highest value, the core of our being, the reason for our being. That's what we rely upon. Everyone trusts in something. Everyone has a faith story, in other words. Some of those stories are good. Some of those stories have not been so good. And maybe you know what I mean. You've trusted people or you've trusted in promises that have been made to you. You've trusted maybe in power, um, trusted in other things. And you're just beginning to realize it's not coming through for you like you thought it would. Your faith story maybe has betrayed you. The object of your faith has not borne the weight of your faith. Well, what the apostle is saying here is that by faith, they have turned from those idols. And an idol is anything that you've trusted in that hasn't borne the weight or will not bear the weight of your life and your trust. Anything other than the living God. And Paul says they turn from the idols of their hearts to the living God. That's a work of faith. They've turned from one faith to a faith in a true and living God. And that's what happened in the church of the Thessalonians. But not only uh, were there new believers, new conversions, but there was a new church that was established as a result of their faith. Notice at the very beginning, he addresses this letter to the church of the Thessalonians. You might translate this way here, to the church of the Washingtonians at Grace, D.C. That's kind of what he's saying, to the church of those who believed in Christ in Thessalonia. They had put together by their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, they had seen a church come together. That was a work, an outcome of faith. And you are in one right now. You're, you're in a work of faith. As you sit here, as you um, are involved in this church, you're in a work of faith. 
it has its own, as you, as you might say, a story of, of faith. And, and as Glenn shared earlier, I, I can remember earlier parts of that story. This is pre-Glenn, uh, many months pre-Glenn. And I remember a meeting as I was driving down here tonight. I, was, I remember meeting with some folks, leaders in our denomination, who were in hopes that this might happen. And we met in a hotel conference room over on Capitol Hill, really under the shadow, inside of, as you walk out the front door, inside of the hotel, you could see the Capitol Dome. And as we met there, and as we thought through doing this, by the grace of God, at least the thoughts that ran through my mind were thoughts like, as I looked at the Capitol, and it is an imposing, beautiful thing, isn't it? I mean, the symbol for the worldwide of incredible, incredible power. And I remember thinking, can this happen? Will this really happen? What, what are we doing? But being challenged by those around the table to believe, yes, this can happen. Because our faith is in the power of God and the grace of God. And I remember the, I could tell many stories, but I remember working for many, many months to find the church planter that the Lord would have to start this church. And we had looked, and there are a number in this room tonight that remember this whole process. And uh, you were praying faithfully through those many months, and, and we had a few candidates that we looked at. There were not a long list of candidates. It's kind of an unusual place to plant a church, and so there are not that many candidates that you might think would be uh, equipped and ready. And um, But we had a few candidates. We looked at those candidates, and I remember the, the last candidate we looked at before uh, Glenn, it didn't work out. It was at the end of the year. We had so hoped. We had worked for months and months and looked at a few people. And I remember talking to Susie Austin on the Sunday after this weekend. Uh, we had interviewed this uh, candidate. And Susie says, so now what are we going to do? <laughs> Susie has a great way of saying that, you know. <laughs> okay, so now what are we going to do? And I didn't, have an, I didn't have an idea. I didn't have an answer. And the best answer I could come up with, well, I guess, Susie, we'll just, we just, we just got to pray. Within two weeks, we got a phone call from Terry Geiger, who's preached here before. And Terry says, do you know Glenn Hoberg? I'd heard of Glenn. And over those many, many months, the Lord had been working in his heart, in Meg's heart. And said, Glenn is very interested in... Um, I think we need to get together soon. And within just a few weeks, um, things had come together. I just see the, Lord, the Lord's hand because the result of our work really came to not a whole lot. But God's work, God's hand was at work. This is a work of faith. But I'll say and ask you the question that Susie Austin asked me, so, so now what are you going to do? Here we, we organize tonight, Lord willing, so now what are you going to do? You know, faith is always 
a present tense dynamic, you know. You can't live on what God did last month, last year. Oh, it's an encouragement to be sure. And it ought to be. That's why I share it. Now what are we going to do? Words of John Haggai have always encouraged me and other pastors and churches been founded on this slogan, attempt something so great for God that it's doomed to failure unless God is in it. So that's what you're going to do. A work of faith that continues to be a work that's trusting a sovereign God, a work by His grace. A work of faith, work produced by faith, but secondly, Paul says, a labor prompted by love. Interesting that he uses two words here. First he says work, then he says labor. We would think it's the same thing, but in Greek it's really not. The word labor is a distinct word that means toil or hard work, work that leads to exhaustion, really working up a sweat, toil. Apparently, the Thessalonians knew what that was all about. Paul says in chapter 4, he says, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. They loved all the brothers in Macedonia. All of them, and as Rick rightly said, this was a very diverse group of people, and all of them were loved. I love Don Carson's quote from Love in Hard Places when he says, The reason there are so many exhortations in the New Testament for Christians to love other Christians is because the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort, the things that bind most people together. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they all have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In this light, we are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. That is the only reason why John 13, 34 By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Makes sense. When Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Christian love will stand out and bear witness to Jesus because it is a display for Jesus' sake of mutual love among social incompatibilities. They loved so much that they labored in their love for one another. They worked hard at it. Because it is hard work. Real love. Loving each other is real hard work. You're a gifted group. That's easy to see. It's known far and wide. This is a gifted church. And people love to be loved by gifted people. But have you ever noticed that it's sometimes difficult to love gifted people? I mean, gifted people 
really bright people, really skilled people, talented people, accomplished people, sometimes are opinionated. Sometimes they are even downright arrogant, demanding, sometimes pushy. I'm sure that doesn't apply to anybody here, but, I, but, it's, but sometimes that's the case. That's why it's hard work to love each other, especially in a gifted group like this. I think that's why the Apostle Paul, in writing to the gifted Corinthians, says to them, though you can speak with the tongues of men and angels, you know that wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians 13, though you can speak with the tongues of men and angels, they had incredible gifts, speaking gifts, oratory and the like, though you have the gift of speaking like angels, if you don't have love, you're just a sounding gong, clanging cymbal. You might be so committed that you give your body to the flames, but if you don't have love, you don't have anything. You have nothing to say. And that's why Jesus said that without love, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. So how do we love to toil to the point even of exhaustion? And if you're really loving each other, it is an exhausting calling. But how do you do that? The Apostle Paul says the love of Christ compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. And he died that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's the motivation. That's the power. That's, that's how we love, by the fact that we have been loved. And that's what the church is. It's a group of people who, naturally speaking, wouldn't love each other. But supernaturally speaking, because you have been loved by the amazing love of Christ, you who weren't easy to love by God, I wasn't easy to love by God, but he loved me. I don't know why. He loved me. In light of that, we can love one another. And that's why Paul says the love of Christ compels us, empowers us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Said another way, this is not about us. I've been saying this at McLean a good bit. This is not about us. It's about him and about loving for the sake of Christ. When I think about Grace D.C., I think about a church that's not about itself. It's a church that exists for its non-members. It's a church that exists in the city for the city. It's a church that exists to care for and love each other, but out of that love, that overflowing love, loves the city and loves those in the city who can't love back, who can't pay back, loves the poor, cares for the poor. That's what I think about. That's what this church was about. That's what Grace D.C. is about. Work produced by faith, a love prompted by, a labor prompted by love, but third, an endurance that's inspired by hope. 
an endurance. How do you keep loving like that, you know? How do you stay after it? This is a wonderful, marvelous milestone. In some respects, it's just a new beginning for this church. How do you keep going? This church, Thessalonians, they endured because of the hope that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite films is Shawshank Redemption. Maybe some can um, join me in that. But one of my favorite lines in that movie is when Red tells Andy, after Andy's spent, I don't know, a couple of weeks in solitary confinement, but he had been, as he said, listening to classical music in solitary confinement. They didn't know what he was talking about. He said, oh, I was listening to it. It was all up here. I had it in my mind. He said, why do you do that? He says, so I can have hope because I believe that outside of my existence there's something that's of of real beauty and that gives me hope. And Red says, hope, let me tell you something. Hope is a dangerous thing. There's no place in here in this prison for hope. Hope destroys people. Hope is a dangerous thing. Unless you're hoping the right thing, the right one. And once again, maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you've experienced the danger of hope and been disappointed because the object of your hope didn't bear up and you've been devastated, been abused, mistreated, disappointed. Maybe you've been disappointed by churches that you've been in. And I want to say quickly that if the object of your hope becomes Grace D.C. or has been Grace D.C., you're going to be sorely disappointed. No, Paul says, no, this church had it right. The object of their hope was the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a real hope, a dynamic hope that empowers endurance It was realistic, the whole concept of enduring presumes that there is a difficulty in going through this life. And in fact, the apostle applies this reality of hope to them in chapter 4, verse 13. He says, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep or died. He says, oh, I want you to grieve. It's only real and right to grieve the loss, the death of someone that's near and dear to you. That would be unreal. But a real hope in Jesus Christ faces grief but knows it's not a forever loss and knows that there is a resurrection and that there is a new heaven coming and a new earth. That's the hope of Grace D.C. That's the hope that empowers you to endure and continue on. It's the hope that energizes this church. My favorite line in The Passion was when Mel Gibson took 
that verse from Revelation 21 and made Jesus say on the way to the cross to his mother, Behold, I'm making all things new. It's awesome. Everything in the movie looked like everything was over. Dead. Destroyed hope. And in the face of it all, he says, Behold, look. Look at what I'm doing. I'm making all things new. That's this hope that causes us to endure. That's what causes this church to be empowered because we're not just about making a new church here. God help us if that's all we're doing, making just another church. This nation has lots of churches, lots of good churches. So does this city. But we're about seeing new people made by the hope of Jesus Christ. A new society in the midst of society made by the grace of Christ in the gospel. A new society in the church. A new community that demonstrates to the watching community what it really means to be in community. and What it really means to love in the face of differences and difficulties. A new society and a new city. That's what we're headed for. A new city, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven and a new earth, a new kingdom. All things new. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So, what do you think about? You think about Grace D.C. What do you pray for when you pray for Grace D.C.? Well, you remember the Lord leads you away from here. I pray it's a church that's filled with works produced by faith, labor that's prompted by love, and endurance that's inspired by the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, John. What a word for us to embrace right now. Wonderful word. Well, let's stand.